Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I very often ask you and my parish to pray for the church. Pray for your priests, pray for your bishops, pray for the Pope. Uh, because in many ways, uh, it's it's having a great deal of, of problems right now, struggles. And I would say a more defined way to pray would be pray for the purification of the church. Because there's things that people are pushing for in the church that are directly opposing God's will and God's law for that matter. And that's just creating chaos and havoc. And I would say if some of these things happen, like the, uh, I'll get to that in a second, it would create a, another schism in the church. And that's the last thing the church needs. Uh, but God's will be done, whatever that would be. Uh, so just a couple of things to keep in your prayers. All this just came to light in the last day or two. Uh, first of all, Archbishop Weakland has died last night at the age of 95. Um, he committed immoral acts with a seminarian um, while he was bishop and then paid him off almost a half a million dollars to keep it hidden. So we would, we would pray for his um, soul that uh, he would, would have had a conversion before he died and come to ask for God's mercy. Uh, next, I don't know if you're aware of this Academy for Life. There's a Pontifical Academy for Life in uh, Rome at the Vatican. It was founded and set up by JP2. It was a very good thing. And, uh, and then in 2016, the Academy was closed and all of its members were dismissed. This was Academy that was working towards uh, bringing forth uh, healthy responses to all issues about life, morally good responses and uh, arguments. And uh, for whatever reason, it was closed down and the members were let go in 2016. And then in 2017, the Academy reopened with new members. And among them was a man named Nigel Bigger, who was an abortionist. He was in favor of abortion. So that to me is uh, an oxymoron. How could you have somebody in favor of abortion on the Pontif Pontifical Academy for Life? It doesn't make sense to me. For that matter, there were many people who uh, were appointed to this who were not Catholic. That also is a bit troubling to me. Uh, I think one person even had no faith whatsoever. Uh, so that, you know, there's just some oddities out there. Yes, there was even more than one. There were two that were non-believers. So I don't know what 
healthy dialogue that would add to any discussions about life, but, you know, that's what was done. Anyway, this group, this group has just suddenly uh, come forward and said that they, uh, that people, Catholics may dissent from the church teaching on contraception. Think about that for a second. So we pretty much just celebrated uh, 50 years the 50-year anniversary of Humanae Vitae, uh, which was promulgated, an encyclical, by the way, by Paul VI. Uh, and so now suddenly this Academy for Life, what a strange uh, title they've given this for people who seem to be undoing issues of life. They are now stating they're open to a theological discussion within the church and even the possibility of dissent against uh, what has been morally decreed as contraception is uh, a moral um, evil and cannot be practiced by Catholics. So, you know, you just, you, you shake your head and you go, you know what, I, I'm, this frustrates me. It makes me a little bit angry. I'm sure it makes Jesus even more angry because this is his church. Let's not forget that. This is his church. He is the head over this body. And, and to have things like this come under attack. So let's just play this out to the final stages. What if suddenly the Vatican agrees with this and issues a statement that, you know, Humana Vitae was uh, incorrect. I don't know how you can do that on an encyclical, but uh, that would create, that would certainly, in my opinion, create a schism in the church. Uh, so that's that's another problem that's uh, brewing. What else? Finally, Cardinal Bakou is reinstated by Pope Francis. This cardinal is currently on trial for many felonies, not the least of which is embezzlement of uh, millions of dollars from the church. So why would this person be uh, suddenly reinstated into some kind of ministry? I do not know, but that's what was done. So apparently this cardinal has been tweeting that the Pope has asked him to uh, be part of these meetings that are coming up this week, one of which is the appointment of, I think, 20 cardinals on Saturday. So we have that going on. You know, I understand forgiveness, but why would you... Are there no other cardinals uh, that could sit on these meetings? It doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, I'm not the Pope. I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, finally, and maybe most one of the most egregious facts of all is that one of those people who's going to be made a cardinal this coming Saturday is Bishop McElroy of San Diego. And um, Bishop McElroy reinstated a priest into active ministry when he was uh, the bishop of a priest who had been found guilty of uh, raping a woman during a mass, a black mass where the Eucharist was desecrated. It doesn't get any worse than this. Uh, the That's the bottom of the barrel. You can't get any worse than that. A Catholic priest celebrating a satanic black mass where the Eucharist is desecrated and a, and a virgin girl is raped. Well, 
uh, I'm sure he has his reasons, but he reinstated that priest into active ministry. Now, when the victim found out, she finally went to the authorities, to the police, and uh, opened a formal uh, investigation into the whole thing, whereby they were, for the most part, blocked by the chancery in getting the information they wanted. Eventually, they did. And they plea bargained that priest so he wouldn't have any jail time. I don't know. Doesn't sound good to me. But uh, that's the truth. And in fact, the priest confessed to the whole thing. So this isn't an alleged event. This was documented and it happened. And now this man will be given a red hat on Saturday. Congratulations. Unbelievable. Today in the gospel, Jesus is not happy with the priests of the Jewish church back 2,000 years ago. He's saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Not much has changed 2,000 years later. We still got hypocrites who are pretending to be holy, but doing very unholy things behind the scenes. So again, pray for the church, and more importantly, pray for the purification of the church. Because this is only going to drive more people away when these things uh, are discovered. And it's, it's, it's just, it's an anomaly to me. I don't understand how th these things continue to happen. And uh, so brazenly, just one thing after the next. All right, so now let's talk about prayer. Because if there's one thing we need to be doing, it's to be praying. And particularly contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is uh, a deep form of prayer that uh, is, is less about talking and more about listening. Okay, so prayer is a conversation with God, but that doesn't mean that we do all the talking. Uh, I remember years ago, my good friend Eleanor um, was going through her litany of things she was asking the Lord to do for her family, for her friends, whatever she had. And she was going on and on and on about all these things she was asking the Lord to, to take control of and step in and clean up and fix. And then all of a sudden she heard a voice that said, Eleanor. And she stopped and she says, yes. And it was the Lord. And he says, when do I get to talk? <laughs> And she realized that she hadn't given the Lord any time to respond to any of her requests. So she, that was the day she learned that praying means both speaking, but then also listening, listening for God. If you were to open your Bibles to Habakkuk 2, verses 1 and 2, this is what you would, you would read. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint? Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So Habakkuk has really realized that the Lord is speaking to him and he has something very important to say that he needs to even write it down, that it would go out to the world. It's really no different for you and me. When we go into prayer, the Lord it wants to speak to you. He's speaking to us all the time, but are we listening? Are we tuned in? Just like a radio station, like right now, Radio Maria, you're tuned in and you're listening because the, the station is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's always putting out a message, but we don't always tune in. 
It's the same with God. He's always speaking words of blessing over us, words of encouragement, and occasionally a correction when we need to be corrected. But are we listening? I would say the vast majority of people are not listening. But there's hope because everybody uh, can can hear the voice of God if they just simply uh, kind of, well, first of all, get into a state of grace. And if you're Catholic, that means go to confession on a regular basis. Because when you have a mortal sin on your soul, you're blocking the pipeline of grace from heaven to you. And it, it would be almost impossible, not impossible, but almost impossible to hear from God. As you know, Saul heard from Jesus in the midst of persecuting the body of Christ. What did Jesus say to him? It was a correction. So probably the first time uh, Saul really heard from the Lord in a profound way, it was a correction. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What does he say? He says, who are you, sir? He doesn't even know this is Jesus. He doesn't know this is God. But boy, would he come to know the voice of God because three years later, this man is transformed into St. Paul who knows the voice of God, who has discerned the voice of God, who is listening and obeying and following what he's being given in prayer. And so he steps out and in great faith and uh, fortitude, he, he does the will of God and starts establishing all these Christian communities. But it wasn't easy. He needed to know that the Lord was with him and that's what gave Paul such great conviction. We too can hear the voice of God. So, how do we do this? Uh, so that the first key is to get yourself into a state of grace, go to a quiet place, and you got to still your thoughts and your emotions. So, Psalm forty-six, ten. And this is exactly what that psalm encourages us to do. It says, "Be still, be still." and know that I am God. Uh, be still and know that the Lord is there and he's going to speak to you. So you have to clear your mind of all the distractions, ask the Holy Spirit to uh, be present to you, ask your guardian angel to guard your thoughts and keep all distractions away, and then just listen. Close your eyes and listen. And whatever, you may have a memory come to you. Have a little journal, a little notebook with you and a pen. You might have a memory come back, write it down. You might have a prayer come to you, write it down. You might have an image, write it down. You might actually hear the voice of God. You know, that eventually will start happening. But in the beginning, he sometimes works with uh, memories or, or images or past uh, experiences. Write them down. And then go back and look at them after your prayer time is over and try to like discern what, when I look at these collectively, like a puzzle, what is he saying to me? And it will take some time. And if you have a spiritual director, that would be even better because then you can take this to him or her and she can help you discern what the Lord's trying to tell you. So in your soul, there's a deep inner longing to connect with God. And, uh, by quieting the noise, so that means I wouldn't even take your phone into your prayer room. Don't do it. If you do, turn it off. Uh, quiet all your devices. Don't have background music playing. Quiet is where God most usually speaks to us. 
So isn't it interesting that we've never lived in a more noisy world than we do today? That's not an accident, folks. That's the, the designs of the enemy. If we can keep uh, everybody constantly busy, constantly uh, basically formed with attention deficit disorder, because we have so many things that are coming at us all at once. We have text messages, we have emails, we have social media, uh, we have um, TV. If, if you notice on the news channels, it's not enough to report the news. The news is the main portion of the TV screen, but then in the corner they'll have a second story kind of playing out. And then at the bottom they have the ticker tape running with other news stories. It's so hard to focus. And that it's, I call it the MTV generation. This blaring of music at you, the blaring of messages at you, the blaring of uh, basically the spirit of the world constantly being pushed into your home, into your ears. Uh, that's to distract people from hearing from God. That's the ultimate goal of the enemy. He does not want anybody hearing from God. You know, he wants to speak to us. You know, and if you go back to Genesis 3, when the serpent starts talking to Eve, uh, that, that was the whole plan. If I can distract her long enough, she'll forget about what God said. I'll even trick her into thinking God is holding out on her. And she starts dialoguing with the devil. Big mistake. We don't do that. Uh, Daniel O'Connor wrote a wonderful piece about this on his blog. I'm hoping he'll come on and talk about it. If not, I'll go through it uh, for you. But it's fascinating. But this is the problem. So we have to be quiet and listen for the Lord. When, uh, when we listen, as I mentioned, you might, you might be given images or words or past memories, and we're going to write those down. And then you can start speaking. And what you want to start with is by thanking the Lord. That's we always, or you can praise him. So you can open by saying, I praise you, I love you, I adore you, O Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for this, that, and the other thing. So you want to go through some praise, you want to go through some gratitude and thanksgiving for what the Lord's doing in your life, for the ways you can see his hand in action over your life. And after use, and then you can pour out what's on your heart. So, you know, this day, um, I'm concerned about the church. I'm concerned about some of the leaders of the church, that they're taking the church in a dangerous direction. I'm uh, concerned about maybe my nephew or my niece, or I'm concerned about my child or my my parent, or whatever, whatever's on your heart, you give it to Jesus, or the Father, or the Holy Spirit. You have to pick a person, or you should pick a person. You don't have to, uh, because there's three persons in the Trinity. You can speak to each of them, and they all will have a different relationship with you. You know, the Father is your father, Jesus is your brother, and the Holy Spirit is kind of the uh, the hand of God, the finger of God, the action of God the love of God, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you differently than the Father and the Son will. So pick one, and then uh, speak to them directly, and then listen for them to speak back to you, and, and write down whatever you think they're saying. In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, we see uh, Peter referring to King David's statement, and that statement was, I saw the Lord always in my presence, 
for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. The original psalm makes it clear that this was a decision of David's, not a constant uh, supernatural visitation. He says, I have set, literally I have placed the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And because David knew that the Lord was with him, just like St. Paul, he determined in his spirit to see that truth with the eyes of his heart as he went through his life, knowing that this would keep his faith strong. You should do the same thing. You know, you can even say that every morning. You can quote that from Acts, or you can go to the original Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. What a great way to start your day. You know, after you say good morning to the Lord and thank him for the new day, proclaim that psalm and proclaim it out loud. There's a power in uh, bringing words through active speech. You know, you can pray in your head, but on certain things you should proclaim them out loud. I, I've often said, you know, when I see mayhem just pop up out of nowhere or violence uh, or, you know, you could be you could be in a situation where suddenly there's an, an outbreak of uh, violence or a fight or uh, who knows. The first thing you can do is call forth um, Father deliver us from this evil, from the Our Father. I also invoke St. Michael and his angels. And then one of my favorite uh, quotes is to say, let there be light. Bring your light into the situation, Lord, that this darkness would be dispelled. Just proclaim it out, out loud. Let there be light and see what happens. So in order to see, we have to be looking. Daniel saw a vision in his mind and said, I was looking, I kept looking, I kept looking. And as I pray, I look for Jesus and I watch as he speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, I'm focused on what he's saying, the things that are on his heart. Many people will find that if they just look, they will see. You know, he is God that is with us. Emmanuel means God is with us. And it's really as simple as that. You can see Christ present with you because Christ is present with you. In fact, the vision may come so easily that you'll be tempted to reject it, thinking that it's just you that's forcing these things to happen. That's uh, a common uh, effect that has with people who try to start doing contemplative prayer. They think they're putting words in God's mouth. But you'll see over time... That's I, when this, I started praying this way, I did it because I was under obedience to my superior in religious life, but, and I really didn't think it was going to happen. But all of a sudden, I started receiving uh, words and messages from the Lord, and uh, in some of them, there were words I didn't know what they meant. I had to look them up in a dictionary. And so I, I, I knew they weren't for me because I didn't even know these words. And then he would start telling me things that... Um, I personally would not have chosen for myself. Like one day he said, there's a large cross coming your way. I'm fortifying you to, uh, to carry it. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Uh, now, I would never have said that on my own because I'm not looking for more crosses. And then right after that, I was blocked from going to seminary. And it was a huge cross for me. Uh, but he warned me. And then I started realizing this really is God. 
You know, this is God. This isn't me, and it's not the enemy. This is him. He's showing up. So um, this is what we do. Now, just so you can see, we, we might have to pick this up again tomorrow because this is just the tip of the iceberg on hearing from God. Uh, let me give you an actual message that I got from God the Father. This was back in November 14th, 2006. It was also a Tuesday, just like today. It was during a, an hour of adoration. This is what God the Father said. You have seen well the role of the Father as head of the family and parish. With this role, I have built in graces to lead the family in holiness and love. It is a very specific and unique grace I place on the Father to lead and bless the entire family. When the Father lives out his true Christian identity and loves properly and is outwardly devoted to me, to Jesus, and to the Spirit, the development of the family is nurtured. True service to me grows and love is fostered. The father's role is to protect the children and spouse from all harm. First and foremost, he is to protect their faith and to protect their place in heaven. The role of labor and financial support are secondary to the role of building up the kingdom of God in the family. When a father promotes me and loves me with my heart, the storehouse of my grace is poured out on that family. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. So there's more to this. I can go into it maybe tomorrow. But uh, when I started, you know, when I'm writing furiously as I'm listening to this. And then when you go back to it and look at it, you go, wow, that, there's, a, there's a profound wisdom here that's not my own. So I hope you will practice this and try this for yourselves. And uh, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. It's been wonderful to be with you. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing out.